Welcome. Uh, we've got a great panel here for you today. I think the thing, uh, if I were in your shoes uh, and I was looking to hear from amazing people who have done great things, um, I'd want to be inspired and I'd want to be educated and, and uh, I'd want to learn. So hopefully that's what we'll, we'll do and that's the, the, the aim of the game anyway. I just wanted to Long sort of hanging. really kind of quickly introduce everybody. Um, and I'm going to start here with Marcus Plowright, who's, uh, everybody's a director, uh, BAFTA nominated uh, for Breakthrough Talent in 2016. Um, David Nath uh, is director, BAFTA uh, winner. Pamela uh, is director, and 2014 she spent a year directing uh, uh, Grierson and broadcast nominated Dementiaville, uh, amongst other things. And this is Hamish Hamilton, um, who's director and recipient of, I think, two BAFTAs, but also the BAFTA Special Award at the BAFTA Television Ooh. Craft Awards in 2013. <laughs> okay. Everybody, round of applause for uh, everybody here. What we were going to do um, is just sort of slowly uh, introduce you to everybody um, as we go through our questions and our chat. Um, I'm inviting everybody on the panel to sort of talk to each other um, and to chip in with stories or anecdotes or experiences that they've had that's relevant to, to other people so that we can kind of keep it open and keep it flowing. Um, I think that the first question that I wanted to ask was the obvious one, which is how did everybody get started? Um, because um, I think it's sort of um, one of those things where you go from having ambition and you go from having dreams and then kind of to making them into a reality. And sometimes those things happen, sometimes you go in a slightly different direction. But it's always really good. Um, so um, Marcus, I was going to just ask you in terms of how, how it's all started for you. Yeah. Um, I was working at Swan Films, um, working under Neil Crombie and Joe Evans, um, working there for on and off for the last sort of three years, really. And I worked, I was making sure that I was across various different parts of the production process. So I was DVD directing, I was editing, I, I filmed and edited Grace and Perry's Dreamhouse, and I was cameraman on Grace and Perry, Who Are You? Um, and I was getting a sort of broad range of experiences at, at one production company, and I made it known to my executives, you know, I want to, I want to step up, I want to make that step up, I want to yeah. direct, and they were really encouraging, they were really supportive, and we tried to get some ideas and taste the tapes off the ground, and we were sending them to the channel, and no one was biting, and it was all quite frustrating. Uh, so I, basically, I looked for an opportunity to sort of showcase my talents as a director, and um, I got a call from the Guardian. Um, online, who invited me to come and make a short film about Muslim drag queens, which I did, and off the back of that, I got my first cut for Channel 4. Great, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later and show a clip as well. Um, Dave, can we ask you? Yeah, <clears throat> I'm sort of quite kind of aware that when I'm talking about it, it's from a bit of a different era. <laughs> right, so, yeah, yeah, so I don't know how applicable it is, because <laughs> I think it's much trickier You can now. snapchat yeah. your way to success. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so I was a print journalist first and then um, I did about four or five years in print journalism, I trained in print journalism and then I sort of, it was the, the route from print journalism either to go into national newspapers or stay until you're about 70 on a regional newspaper <laughs> uh, and write about the largest courgette in Canby Island. <laughs> so so I, um, I, I decided to leave and I saw, uh, I was a crime reporter on the, on the paper and I saw an advert in the, in the Media Guardian for a researcher at London Weekend Television. And I went there, and at that time there was, they, there was a very strong movement in documentary of recruiting print journalists into uh, documentary, factual and current affairs. And so there was a lot of journalists there, and it was more, more luck than judgment, or it was opportunity really. I'd been there about six months, and somebody said, we've just got a 20-part series for Sky called Coppers. Uh, which is an observational thing following the police around. It's like five days to film an episode and five days to cut it. It costs about three pence. Yeah. <laughs> do, do, you, do you want to do it? So I said, yeah, yeah I'll have a go at yeah. it. But it was, uh, I, I think it was, I, I wasn't, um, I didn't have this career plan to be a director at that point. It was when I first went out on a shoot, I thought, oh, this is what I want to do. So that, that's how it happened for me. The good news is there's still loads of those kinds of shows around where they uh, have a budget for about three pieces. So we can get a break and get a, an opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, funny. the thing is, you learn loads. Yeah. And, and yeah. you learn through just 
I mean, I'm sure other people say you learn through mistakes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Pamela, uh, how about you? I, I'm also from a different <coughs> era. Um, so I was kind of anxious that I was going to say helpful things, you know, because I, I also think it's, it's more difficult or different now. Um, so I worked, I had a theatre company when I left university and really wanted to work in theatre um, and realised there was no money in it. So I kind of got a job in a TV production company, answering the phones, then got a job as a researcher and eventually realised, you know, I was kind of funding the theatre company and then eventually realised the theatre company wasn't going to go anywhere. So I um, uh, researched, I started researching some um, social history uh, films uh, for testimony, uh, for domino films, and then it became testimony films in Bristol. Um, so I worked in social history and writing kind of tie-in history books for about 10 years before I changed. I didn't have a career plan to become a director. Right. Discovered um, directing eventually. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I can go on, but well, you, know, it's got, a complicate, you know, it's kind of a complicated, it's a much longer process, I think, I agree with Dave then, yeah. which was good because you learn a huge amount yes. in, in, those, in those years. Um, I think it would probably all testament that, you know, there is times where it feels like it's frustrating and you're not quite going where you want to go or, or you're not quite sure. But actually, when you look back, those times can be the times where you learn so much and, and actually have led to you probably having a skill set later on that you wouldn't have had otherwise. I didn't find it frustrating at first because you were enjoying, you know, you were, you were making, you know, these important social history films. You were interviewing some really fascinating people. Mm. Um, I interviewed people, at the, the last people that were involved in the First World War, um, various and now, I think it's more frustrating now because you're looking for interesting projects. So I would say it's more frustrating now than, than it was then. Okay. The, the one thing I'd just sort of say about that as well is that um, I, I think directing's a vocation, mm. um, but you don't necessarily know at university that my vocation is going to be directing like you might do a lawyer or a medic yeah. or an accountant. But <laughs> I do think when you get there, I think it, the best directors are people who see it as a vocation, Yes. Yeah. not a job. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Hamish, uh, I'm going to ask you the same question, and then we'll come <laughs> back to Pamela for her clip. Well, actually, before I answer the question, can I just... Because, obviously, these three guys do something, something that's very different to me, though bona fide directors I'm kind of not multi-camera. <laughs> um, so who, who, just how many people are actually genuinely interested in multi-camera? Okay, interesting. Mm. Okay. Oh, right, okay, fair enough. Rose's got this word. I'll stay there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, okay, exactly. No, I was curious. I mean, I, again, I kind of echo the fact that, you know what, I'm kind of like, I'm from a different generation. And I, I, so in ha half of me is like, I've got nothing to give here in, in terms of advice. Other half uh -huh. is, well, maybe I have. Because um, I get asked it all the time. And the honest, the honest answer, so how do you get into directing is, I don't know. How did I get into it? Well, I mean, it was literally, I was at college. I was studying accountancy. <laughs> uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, I didn't, didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was involved in the college radio. Um, fancied myself as the new Philip Schofield. <laughs> how wrong I was. And literally, I was sat in the college radio station. The phone rang. I picked up the phone as a lady from BBC in Scotland saying, look, we're looking for um, a presenter to, to kind of do a radio show on fashion, which, you know, even less so now. I mean, if you'd have looked at me at the time, you'd be like, you were the last person to, to, to research and present a show on, on, on fashion. So I kind of grabbed it with both hands, and I did it. And I did it well. And you know what? I then didn't follow up with this woman, actually. I kind of let, let it go for two years. And then I saw an advert in the paper at the Glasgow Herald saying, you know, looking for trainee producers for the BBC. And, and I kind of, I applied thinking I was never going to get it. But in the application, I decided, you know what? There's like 10,000 people going to apply for this, for this job. So I just made my, my application very, very different. Literally, they sent me out the application form, which was this bland, beige, fucking BBC form full of ridiculous questions. And I thought, well, fuck this. I, I will literally, I photocopied it onto Paisley paper, rewrote all the questions and answered what I wanted to answer, basically, and tell them why I wanted the job. Not, do you know what I mean? I'm yeah. like, do you know what? Screw this. You'll get 9,999 answers on your beige paper. Hopefully, you're <laughs> going to get one on blue paisley. And this is either going to really, really blow all my chances, or it's going to rise out somewhere. And <laughs> thankfully, it did. And they gave me a really hard time at the interview. <laughs> and again, I was the only person who turned up with jeans. Everybody else there was in the suit and you know the jacket and whatever. And you know, I was just kind of like, look, this is me. I'm not wearing a suit. You know, I've got lots of ideas. I think these programs you make aren't good. These programs are. 
and they're all like, oh, you know. <laughs> but it's a fine line. It's a fine line between being gobby and having lots of attitude when you're that age, I think. Yeah. And just making yourself different. So, and I think that still translates now. But I think, you know, I think there's a lot more time then, wasn't there? Do you know what I mean? And actually, it's interesting, you know, I never really wanted to become a director until I saw somebody live in, directing live TV. But I think now with kind of like social media and everybody's, everybody I meet has got this career plan. Mm. You know what I mean? They're like, you're like, you know, in their early 20s and they're like, I want to be a director by the time I'm 24. And I'm like, okay, love the ambition, but I, it's almost a bit difficult for me to relate to that because mm. that wasn't me. What was the uh, gig for, and did you get it, the Paisley paper one? I did, yeah, no, I did, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember the, guys, the, the, um, the, the gentleman, there was six um, fairly, uh, probably like me now, actually, elderly gentlemen, uh, <laughs> sat at the, 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 the panel when I walked into my interview, and the first thing they said is, it's, uh, it's been a long time since we've interviewed a gentleman <laughs> in an open neck shirt and slacks. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> well, dude, this is how I'm going to turn up on day one. This is how everybody's going to turn up on day one, so, you know. This is the real me. I'm picturing all these people in telly walking around in suits and top hats. <laughs> and like yeah, exactly. Um, so, I was just, Pamela, I want to just uh, uh, lead you in, really, to the clip that we're going to show, uh -huh. which is Stacey. Um, that was earlier on in your career, then. Was that one of the first things this that you directed? This is the first thing that I directed as a sole director, so it was the first episode, episode first film in a four-part series called Wasted. Yeah. And how did you get to from where you were, like, <laughs> we were just talking, to getting to direct something? So I series produced, um, I left social history because I wanted to do more observational stuff, so I series produced a series called Staying Lost, which was, um, uh, we followed Runaways for two years, um, the four films, um, which was a, uh, an amazing experience to be involved in that. Um, and off the back of Staying Lost, um, it was clear that there were a lot of people. First of all, the series Wasted was called The Uncounted. So I wanted to tell those stories of people that were uncounted in society. And luckily, um, Channel 4 uh, commissioned it off the back of Staying Lost. They commissioned Wasted, which was I did on my, I own, my own then, yeah. Okay. And what was drove you that particular time to want to tell those stories? Oh, well, I'm always trying to get back to the dark side. So this is, <laughs> this is such a dark film. In fact, I'm quite worried because it's so old as well whether you'll actually be able to see it. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's so dark awesome. in every way. So, so it looks dark. It is dark. It would never be commissioned now. Okay. And I, I, I love it still. And I have a real emotional attachment to it um, because... Stacy, anyway, of what happened to Stacy and stuff. But um, I'm always uh, attracted to those kind of dark stories. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about Stacy and, and maybe how you came to the story. Um, I was looking for people that were uncounted, so people were kind of had fallen through the cracks. Um, and in the end, we did we did four films. Stacy was the first, um, and she lived in Whitechapel. Um, uh, in literally in Jack the Ripper territory. So it's kind of that kind of history is, is implicitly there in the film. Um, um, we were looking, we made two films up in, in Newcastle, Newcastle area, one in Brighton and one in London. Um, so I was kind of working with the prostitutes in that area because, because of the, you know, it was Jack the Ripper, it's amazingly filmic and found that squat, the squat you see, where you see the moon, that was a huge squat called Tower House, which is, really expensive um, flats now. Um, and I met Stacy and her friends, other girls that were working, um, and started filming them, yeah. So I knew her for, we filmed her about a year and a half. Um, nothing really happens to them, which was, a, so the, the film is quite, um, is a portrait of her life. She gets out of Tower House eventually, but then that all goes wrong. Um, but for me, it, it, so that was my first hour that I directed on my own, and then the, the series follows. Um, and it's weird hearing Stacey's voice. She, she wrote poetry, as you, you, you heard. That, that was just the very intro of the, of the film. Um, and I watched the film when it went out with her, and I knew her for, quite, for a, a few months after the film went out. Um, but then she died, um, and um, strangely enough, I was with her, I was there when she died. Um, so it became a kind of, the whole series became quite an emotional, 
you know, it was this huge emotional thing that which you know life experience that had happened because you'd been very close to somebody and then um, you'd sort of seen their life kind of go down and down and then up slightly and then she was kind of in a, getting an, into sort of a more of an up place but um, unfortunately she overdosed and died. So, I mean, that takes a lot, um, I would have thought, from a director's point of view. I mean, um, obviously you had an emotional connection to her mm. and her story, but also you're willing to give of your time, um, it sounds. What, in, in your life at that point, would you say there were certain attributes about you or certain... Uh, um, well, I didn't have any children. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so later on, I went on to have my son. Um, I wouldn't be able to do... You know, to be so I see staying lost and wasted as, and I know this sounds, you know, I don't think there are many opportunities to do that kind of thing now. It was such a long period of time. And so I see it genuinely as more of a life experience. Yeah. And then working with the people, I, Gregor Lyon um, cut that series, who is a genius editor and a wonderful, wonderful creative partner, and Petrograph uh, shot it. Um, and so to start working with people like that um, was such a wonderful creative experience, but it was also a life experience because, as you say, you have to spend a hell of a lot of time and a lot of things happen when you're not filming. Um, when we were with Stacey for a, a long time, I spent Christmas Day with her. I didn't have any children. You know, I, I, I just was very tired by the end of really, really emotionally tired, and then she died. So it was a kind of a, you know, it was just a, it was a weird experience as well yeah. in that way, yeah. Okay. Mm. Um, I would have thought that, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but um, for everybody, there's a period of time, particularly when you get to direct your first hour, um, or, or, or for the first time, something that you feel is, is quite big. That, there's a huge amount of dedication and time that you've got to put mm. into it. Um, do you feel that way? Massive, yeah. I mean, it's it's a full-on commitment, and you really want to be able to, you know, throw your all at it. Oh. You know, maybe a bit too much. <laughs> you know? um, but yeah, I mean, when when I first met some of the contributors from Muslim drag queens, um, I got to know them for about six or seven months before we even shot a frame, really. And you know, hanging out with them out, you know, off camera going to various wedding engagement parties, meeting up with their friends and families in the clubs, at homes and all that kind of stuff. So there was a long, a long period of time of just getting to know people before we, before we even try anything. Yeah, yeah. This is really interesting what Pamela's saying, because I, I, I just like remember that I, I gave up directing for about six years when, I had ki when the kids were really little, because right. mm. it, it just wasn't fair on my, on my wife to, um, because the amount that you're out, yeah. you're, I think we sort of almost do it without realising is that you just put everything else yeah, second. Totally. Mm -hmm. And then um, I went back to directing when I felt I could, when my kids were a bit more manageable in terms of they'd grown up a bit. Right. Mm. But you, I think it's impossible. Given, impossible. I mean, yeah. I don't yeah. know if it's the same with Hamish. I'm sure it is because... Yeah, mm. yeah it is. It, 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 it probably is. Even though you, you don't do docs, I'm sure it yeah. takes up... It's I mean, consuming, I, isn't yeah. it? No, I mean, I spend seven, six, seven months of the year away. Yeah. Mm. I live here, right? I work mainly mainly in America. But actually, I wanted to ask you a question, actually, yeah. if you don't mind, is, which is kind of, in the days now of social media yes. and iPhones and cameras everywhere, if you were to make that doc now, yes. how would it, would you make it any differently? Because you have, literally, you have a phone with you 24 hours a day that you could film or, or not? Or? Oh, no, I love working with the yeah. DOPs. I yeah. mean, I, I really, I, I think that it's such... For me, anyway, I, I, I mean, there are some people who can shoot really well, but the, the kind of creative partner that you have if you work with a DOP that, like now I work with Brendan Easton, yeah. and um, I shot that series with Petra, and yeah, no, I love working with, because people bring other oh, you know, sure, visual yeah. ideas, and, and I really, really love working. It's like working with the editor. I wouldn't like to edit myself, you know, working with somebody like Gregor or... Ben Brown or, or Paul Carlin or some, you know, kind of like they just, it, it just gives you sometimes a lift, which, you know, um, yeah. But it's an interesting question, though, because I sort of agree with you about mm. the, the, <laughs> the, the, the approach to a film. But I could also imagine sort of somebody from who's a bit younger than oh, us sure, yeah. Yeah. making that film yeah. sort of more in the way you've said yeah. and mm. coming up with something really interesting yeah, but definitely, different. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Now, because, it, you know, like, you know, like, I mean, certainly in my, in my world, there's, well, there was, and probably still is, there's this massive barrier to entry, yeah. which is, um, you know, a million dollars of OB truck, which is where I spend my life. And, you mm. know, and again, there's this, there's this reluctance and resistance to give anybody a chance. And I, st I mean, I kind of, you know, back in the day, I did make, you know, single camera stuff. I did like things like Rough Guide to the World and stuff like that. But, and I think about that now and I'm thinking, well, do you know what, actually, if I were trying to make my mark, could I not just pick up my iPhone, frankly, because that's the cheapest, I mean, you know, or a 5D or whatever the fucking latest piece of technology is, and go and, you know, find my Stacy. I mean, you, you get, I, I wouldn't be able to do what any of you do, but if I was there looking at what you guys did, could I pick up that, any piece of technology, mm. do it, and then go home and cut it on Final Cut Pro? Mm. Yeah. It would be a very, very, yeah. very different film, it, and I'm, you don't know it, what I mean? Yeah, no, definitely. I think... I think definitely people can come up with now. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. not for you know for me. I, I'm doing my thing and I'm doing different sort of stuff now. And and um, but I, I think you could. And like Dave says, you you know they would come up with something very different, but um, really interesting. And uh, you know, I think that is sometimes a danger with working with contributors, let's call them or people. Um, everybody like all the working girls now have phones. They yeah. kind of always phone, filming stuff and things, and I think you have to make the experience of filming something of somebody filming their lives different than their ordinary everyday lives. And now, because everybody's obsessed with filming themselves on their phones, mm. if you go in with something also, which is like you know, I did something recently to the BBC where we were GoPros and we're giving people little cameras and things. Mm. And in actual fact, it didn't really work that well because everybody's so used to it. So the kind of content that was coming back wasn't really special. Mm. Um, so you're looking for the emotional, you know, yeah. frame. I think what, what you say is quite interesting, though, because, you know, in terms of, like, trying to be relevant to people yeah, here, yeah, yeah. Sure, is yeah. that, you know, if um, someone came in to us, uh, you know, I've started an indie now, mm. and they come in and said, oh, I've shot five minutes of yeah. this thing, I shot it on a 5D, mm. I did it in weekends over the last six months, mm. and this is what it is, it tells you quite a lot. It shows you about commitment, initiative, and an absolute sort of... Um, passion for filmmaking. Yeah. yeah. And I that think would be a really good it's idea. It's a great yeah. calling yeah. card. Yeah. Yeah. It will make you stand out yeah. from other people. Yeah. Definitely. And that. also I think yeah. in, in terms of attributes, so now that there's technology and it's available and things can be done quite quickly and also people have certain talents and then you can develop your skill set. But also there's a certain mentality that I would have thought with you, Hamish, for example, okay, you've got massive big budget um, events that you do and there's things that have a lot of technology behind them that you know nobody else is, is apart from a big corporation is going to have um, at their hands. But I would imagine that that those events take so much planning and dedication and creative thought to get to, to that point that there must be things that you learned sort of when you're working on a smaller scale of things that, that stand the test of time. Um, I mean, again, I mean, I, my, my journey started not really in telling stories, bizarrely as that may sound. And, you know, and even now, to be honest with you, the, the story within a lot of what I shoot is flimsy at best. But, I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> these guys make art, I don't. Um, but, again, just going, I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to do is kind of relate. Yeah. I, yeah. But, and I think as a 20-year-old or 20, early 20s person sat in the audience right now, if you scanned out and saw me, you would think I would be the last person who would be sat here, you know, many years later. Um, because I was really socially awkward, I would be the last person to volunteer any ideas. I was really kind of hung up on the fact that I didn't have any background in either art, journalism, storytelling, film, or media. And there were a lot of people at my college that did. Um, but I kind of, again, you know, change, times always change, right? And when I was kind of, you know, assessing what I wanted to do, technology was changing, as it is fucking really fast now. And lightweight cameras, hothead cameras were all the rage. We were coming from like, you know, you know, these really big fucking heavy cameras to stuff that you could hand, you know, on your shoulders within the kind of the, the OB studio world. And I'm right, okay. And I would really look at what was missing within multi-camera world. So I would know everything about every other multi-camera director. And very early on, I decided, right, I want to shoot music. I don't want to be doing game shows. I don't want to be in quiz shows. I've done them all to learn my craft. I learned to drive the car. I did the Big Breakfast, which was you know, a morning show many, many years ago. Um, and I looked at all the stuff that was out there, and I said, right, OK, this stuff is as dry as fuck. All the cameras are too high. If I'm being at a concert, 
I want to fucking feel the love. I yeah. want to feel the energy. I want to feel part of the crowd. I want a visceral experience. How the fuck do I do that? Okay, so I get that camera, and rather than having it up here above all the crowds, I put it on a dolly and I have it tracking through. And that sounds obvious now because everybody does it, but at the time, people weren't. You know, and I get that crane and I move it, you know, I move it at 45 degrees to the stage. And I go out and I talk to the crowd and I say, right, okay. And this was again before the days of everybody having a phone, but I, I just really, really wanted to make my stuff look different. Um, which is different to telling stories, but again, it's that whole thing of how do I, you know, how do I get myself up this greasy ladder of television? Um, <laughs> you know, and uh, so that's you know that's you know I, I, it was a combination of fierce determination, but also saying okay, there's a gap in the market here, and it's also it's like actually that stuff is bogus. That that doesn't represent my concert-going experience. You know, I was down the hacienda at the weekend and stuff. I'm like. Do that mm -hmm. what I experienced the weekend yeah. and what I'm seeing on television. Yeah. There's a big disconnect here, so let's try and bring the two together. Yeah, authenticity. Still managed to get into work for Monday though. <laughs> 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 well, curiously enough, we did a live show on Sunday morning from the BBC, and there wasn't a lot of sleep went on. By the way, that's another story. <laughs> You're hyped up and ready to go. <laughs> exactly. Dave, um, we're going to talk about the murder detectives. Tell us a little bit about that commissioning process and, and sort of where you sat in that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel it's slightly, um, it's, it's slightly odd talking about it in this session that, that because, so I've, I've been like in telly now for about 25 years and so I got to a point now where I've got a sort of relationship until I fuck something up. <laughs> the next thing could be the fuck up. But I've got a position of trust with certain commissioners where they will give me the freedom to do things. And that is a product of that. So I'm quite aware of when I'm talking to sort of people who are coming into the industry now that that isn't particularly typical. No, but I think, it's, I think it's important to talk about that and say that it's not typical and why it's not. But also, I think it's important for everybody to have ambition well, to get to where I'd, you I'd, are. I'd say the relevance, the reason I picked that clip yeah. is, is, is not because of um, where I, I particularly was with it, but is that I think the most, uh, the biggest thing for for um, new directors is about being distinct. It's what you said about being different and being distinctive because it is absolutely saturated and, and, and I, the, the marketplace is saturated for people who want to get become directors. But I kind of feel that what's on telly is really quite ordinary and quite, um, it replicates itself, it's quite homogenous. So there is a, I think there's a place to be distinctive and there's a gap to be distinctive. But you need to, it's a visual medium, it's a creative medium, you need to be creative and bold and distinct in, in, in what you do, because otherwise, why are you doing it? I, I, that's, what, what, that's what I would say about yeah. it. So, so in terms of that specific um, clip, or you know, your, your process in the lead up to that, yeah. what were the challenges and what was the goal? Well, so there's been loads of observational um, documentary series about police and, and murder investigations, and there's, there's been some really good ones. So when I was asked if I wanted to make another one, I thought, oh, I don't want to make another one because the ones that have been on before have been really, really good. So if I'm going to do something, I'm going to bring something different to it. So I, I thought really, really carefully before committing to it about how I was going to do it. And I, I suppose it's also, by that stage, I'd become a little bit tired of making things the same way as well. And it's a bit of an evolution. Well, that's something wanky about it. You get you you sort of evolve as a filmmaker, mm -hmm. and you get to a point where you become more confident about trying new things. Mm. And I think that's where I'd got to with that. And so I thought um, the, the the world in which you inhabit in a murder is in inherently dramatic. But I was also of the view of I wanted quite, I wanted a young audience to watch it. And I know you can't. That's not science. I wanted to try and make it feel um, that you weren't, it wasn't hard work to watch. And borrowing some of the tropes of drama, I kind of felt that you would, it, it gives, it's, an, it's a slightly easier watch, but it enables people who might not otherwise engage with it to learn something out of it. And that was, that was a, quite a lot to do with how I, how I, I made it. And it, I think, it feels quite drama-like in places, but it also feels very documentary in places as well. And was that something that you set out to do, or do you think that it almost 
organically happened as he went through the filming process? No, I set out to do it like really overtly. I mean, the sequence at the top is quite unusual actually because I think you often have plans about how you might shoot the top of the film and often by the time it's on the TV, it bears no resemblance to a thought you had like a year and a <laughs> half later. But that seems, uh, the words are different there, but like shooting with Steadicam and like I had a, a new one with a shot of this one copper walking through and I thought, right, I'm going to do it on St. Paul's Carnival because it's going to look amazing. So all those things miraculously did translate to how I'd imagined it. And in terms of some specific tips, like, was it sort of... We were talking earlier when you were saying there's some things that you used, some sort of slight tricks and, uh, to be continued at the end of the episode, for example, mm. that you took from specifically yeah, from I mean, there was, I mean, there's certain, like, fundamental things, I thought, like, which is quite often what you, you don't do in documentaries, like... I tried to get rid of the presence of the director and the crew. There's no questions in it. Nobody's interviewed on the move. You don't hear the director. Uh, there's no uh, typical, you know, orthodox interviews. They're all, if there is any interviews, they're, they're shot in profile and you can't quite tell that they're interviews. I used, like, voice track loads, so I'd sit down and do hours of interviews with people but sometimes never shoot any pictures, just mm. shoot audio and you get a very different experience when somebody's not having a camera point and the music is quite big in it um, and um, yeah it's, it, and there's little sort of smaller things that have a quite a disproportionate effect like I cut a sort of drama tease at the beginning of the second and third episodes and like you said that at the end of the first and second episodes there's a to be continued and it was it, unusually it was stripped across three nights and those kind of things. There was a, sh a very shared... I mean, Channel 4 are absolutely brilliant with it. Uh, the ambition was, was very shared. Mm -hmm. And so when you're... And I don't think it is a lot of the time, is it? It's not... It's not it's, it, there's a lot of that. Yeah. But they, are, they were brilliant on that. Yeah. And do you think part of that was the fact that they, they knew that they were going to have to give you two years to kind of go away and make this thing and, and see how it played out for real in, in real life and but, almost just... A little bit, yeah. I mean, I think it's... It, it, so you don't plan to film a murder. You, get, you, you, um, you join a like, murder squad and you see what happens. And so from the entry point into that is risk. You don't know if you'll get murdered. You don't know if you'll get... We, 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 uh, we said that, and the channel said that, if you don't get the family of the victim on board, then it's not a runner. It's not viable. So, and most of the time that won't happen. Mm. Um, and so it's, very, it's a very high-risk project where it's about unknowns. And um, the channel bought into the risk, which is unusual because they can't buy into risk like that every day because no. they'll, they could possibly end up with nothing coming back yeah. in the can. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's quite an unusual project in that respect. Yeah. Um, I noticed actually just talking about sort of techniques and you were saying earlier about the perspective from the audience member at, at a big event like that and the perspective I think in uh, there uh, from when there's the um, obviously there's some sort of call out from the family you know um, the way you've shot it it feels like you're in the crowd a bit like what you were talking about well yeah yeah I mean we did we, we, it was very clear how, how we we're going to shoot it's like very shallow depth of field like we nearly always not always but most of the time shoot with like a muddy foreground that is they're sort of like tropes from drama and a lot of stuff's shot on a long lens. Like typically, if you were in a meeting with police, you'd be handheld in the room with them. Quite a lot of time we shoot like 40 foot back through blinds and things like that, which it's, I didn't really tell the commissioners what I was doing a lot of the time. I certainly <laughs> didn't tell them about not shooting the pictures for interviews. Yeah. Because they would shit themselves. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> so things so, like so lie and deceive. Yeah. yeah. Like, no, sorry, sorry, so that's not good. No. <laughs> it's okay if you pull it off. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Talking about <laughs> access and, and collaborating with the people who you're filming with. So obviously there's some fairly sensitive stuff going on in, in the murder detectives, but also uh, with Muslim drag queens. Yeah. And um, that must have taken quite a, a while to build up a rapport and a trust with your contributors. Yeah, absolutely. As I said, it took a you know six month period of just getting to know them off camera, spending a lot of time with them, finding out about their lives. We were meeting people who were claiming asylum in the UK for fear of 
what was happening back in home in Pakistan. Um, we spent a lot of time with them, and uh, you know, I mean, I was I was going to their engagement parties after a bit in very secret locations under Chinese restaurants, um, in various parts of Ealing, and I was going in, into club nights, um, meeting a lot of the promoters there, and just just becoming a familiar face. Really, that was the key of just really getting to know them, be honest about why you wanted to make the film, why you felt it was important, um, and just hang out with them and just, and just befriend them, basically, yeah. So just tell us a little bit um, um, more about how your progression then, because that is obviously a long-term project, and mm. somebody gave you time and money and and, and Yeah, well, I, I just wanted to pick up on actually on some of the stuff, because obviously, you know, we are in an age now where you can shoot everything on your phone, and you can mm. send a little five-minute clips and everything like that, but it's, it was really interesting for me, because I came to it and... You know, it wasn't... Well, Channel 4 First Cuts now are full-on hours. I mean, they're 47 minutes. They're not half an hour, which, which gave you the sort of artistic freedom that you once had to make beautiful, long, wistful shots and everything. Like, I had to make an hour of, you know, proper television followed by, you know, Gogglebox or something big, and it was in the schedule, and <laughs> I really felt that pressure, and I only had 90K to make it. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I came to the table with loads of you know, naive ideas about, sort of, yeah, like, you no, know, I want to do it without Carmen, and we want to do this, and they were like, it's your first cut, like, you know, just, just, do, just do a standard thing, like, you know, do what you, like, you know, just make a good film, which is what, you know, I did, but I tried to use some of the skills that I had, you know, just from sort of, like, you know, shooting on my own and, you know, just playing around with cameras loads. I just tried to make it a little bit more, a little bit more jazzy and just spruce it up a bit. Um, so yeah, I mean that was that was the result of it, basically. Um, you must have had they must have seen in you somebody who had the kind of tenacity um, and the ability to connect with people and and to get you know to know them and the level of trust. I mean, it's it, this is an area where it's really quite dangerous, isn't it, to be? Who oh, they the are. risks in their lives are massive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was you know they so many of them lived double lives you know, and for fear of coming out to their communities, for fear of reprisals. Um, and they were incredibly courageous people. And we made sure that they had all the support they needed. We made sure that all of their social media was sort of in check. Um, and, you know, everyone in the crew from, you know, myself down to the runners or coordinators and everyone was on board and making sure make sure that they were comfortable and that they were happy and that they knew that this was going on national television. Yeah. Um, how long did you spend then in the edit with, with that? It's obviously, you spent a long time prepping for it and filming it, but then how long in the edit was it? Um, first cut edits are usually pretty tight and you know there's very little room for flexibility. So we had, I think in the end, it was nine weeks in the end, yeah. Um, How did you find that part of the process? Uh, because I would imagine you're probably getting lots of notes from execs in the channel and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's always quite an interesting time because there's always the voices, you know, <laughs> they're always talking to you, whether it be execs or your editor. Because I don't know if some of you know, but usually in first cuts, people try and you know, pair you with quite experienced members of the, uh, of, the, of the industry to help, you know, sort of shadow you through. Um, I had a very good editor, James Ralph, on board, and obviously two very experienced execs, um, Joe Evans and Neil Crombie. And they were really supportive. But at the same time, they were, you know, quite often, oh, no, like, no, you've got to do that, and you've got to do this, you've got to do that. And I was, you know, I was a new director, but I knew that in order to direct, I had to start to kind of, you know, trust my instinct a bit and like to step up to the plate and go, no, you know what, guys, I need to put my hands up here and say, this is what I want, and this is how I feel, and I feel really strongly about it. And there were some really heated, like, creative discussions, like, to get to that point. But I'm glad I did it because right. you know it, it paid off. Yeah. Um, Hamish, uh, in terms of uh, collaboration and working with teams, I mean, I was a director of a multi-camera situation. I, I imagine there's lots of people sort of hanging on your every word when you're in the gallery and, and having to try and control it all. Um, can you maybe tell us a little bit about the collaborations that have to happen to get there? Um, wow. Well, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people, when they're talking about life, concentrate when in the discussing of it on, on, on the day of the, the, the production or the day of the live kind of show. But actually, I mean, they are, they're, they're, as all productions, they're, they're fairly gargantuan undertakings, and, and, and most of it is in the planning. 
and the discussions that you have. And actually, I mean, again, echoing what everybody else has said, I mean, this is, this is a long way down the line, mm. from, you know, from, unless you're really lucky. Um, so it's, um, I think the first thing I do now when I take a job is, is try and work out what my role in it is. Okay, yeah, I'm the director, but who am I working for? Am I working for the television network? Am I working for the sponsor? Huge, I mean, these events now are hugely sponsored in television generally, you know. Am I working for the sponsor? Am I working for the producer? Am I working for the executive producer or the executive, there's usually a million producers, which one am I working for? Uh, or am I working for the talent? And I think that, you know, artists now are all powerful. And so that's the first decision I have to make is, you know, obviously you have to listen to everybody, but who am I really listening to? Um, so that's really, really important because that will kind of guide you through. And actually, frankly, if you want to work again, you need to make that call correctly because, you know, Frank, you know, I've lost jobs along the way because I've been quite ballsy and I've, I've basically stuck my kind of opinions to the wrong person. And actually, in, in, in going that route, I've maybe marginalized somebody else and next year they've said, you know what, no. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I think, and I also think again within any directing at any stage of your career, it's also about how to win the debate, how to... I hate to use the word manipulate, but there's an awful lot of manipulation. And I also think as well, especially I think if you're younger in, in, in your career, there's a fine line between being a gobby little shit who pisses people off um, and someone who has you know, strong opinions, who wants to make, you know, to make their, uh, their kind of feelings and the film that they want to make or the multi-cam, you know. So you, you've also got to choose your battles, but you've not, got to, you've not got to be afraid of having those. And they, sometimes they are battles, you know. And sometimes as well, you've always got to, I think you've got to understand what the other person's motivation is, you know. If you're in a room full of producers, you know what, there's all kinds of politics going on in there, you know. Is that, what's that producer's there and how does that person relate to that person? And, you know, so you've really, I think you've really got to navigate yourself through the politics of every production. Small, medium and large, there's always politics and you have to be, as a director, I think you have to be a very clever political um, animal. And sometimes that might actually involve saying yes to that person, yes to that person, yes to that person. When that person's asking for a close-up, that person's asking for a mid-shot, and that person's asking for a wide shot. And then when they see the final thing, they may see all those shots, but not necessarily in the, in the right order. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and the other thing, again, you can't, you can't always win. Uh, you, you really, I mean, I think, again, within, within multicam, within live now, it's, it's a very difficult place. And um, there are so many stakeholders that actually it's quite often the director who gets shot uh, for no other reason than they can point their finger at you. And sometimes you cannot deliver the impossible. You can't deliver those three shot sizes at exactly that second and appease everybody in the room. And it's not necessarily about what is the best film, it's about what the best politic is at the time. For, from, for the people asking you to make these decisions, it's, it's, it's hard. So when you're in the gallery and, and, and you're directing something like that, um, there's people behind you with opinions live, or is, is that part of the rehearsal process we're referring to? Um, sometimes there are, for sure. Um, and I de developed a technique very early on in that I would stand up. And I did, and I would always wear, wear, wear a very bright, large jacket, and I would stand up. Uh, trucks are quite small. They, at the time, didn't have monitors on the back row. And I would get very animated and very passionate, and they would kind of come along with the enthusiasm, not realizing they couldn't see the transmission monitor. <laughs> um, and then at the end of it, they were like, oh, oh, was it good? Yeah, it was great. Um, you know. um, just a little bit more about <coughs> the steps of your career, if, if you will, um, because you told us earlier on about sort of the stuffy BBC interview with the suits, yep. and then we see that. How do you get from there to there, What's the, uh, what was the progression? Even if you just think about milestone and gigs. Um, I don't, yeah, it's a long journey. <laughs> um, you, know, stop, B you know, BBC Scotland gave me a break for sure, um, based on you know, my bolting at, at an interview, I think, and, and just kind of raw enthusiasm. Um, I was very lucky in that um, a lady called Janet Street Porter, crazy lady, gave me a break on the basis of something that I'd seen. Um, did a documentary, well, kind of a travel documentary series called Rough Guides. Again, wanted to make my stuff different, had a very you know, kind of singular point of view. 
uh, from that, I decided I want to get into multi-camera and multi-camera music, saw someone doing it, and um, basically just really bugged the shit out of people. And then, you know, as I say, I'm, I, I, I work in America now quite a lot, and um, that was a really difficult experience to, to, to make happen, and literally involved me knocking on producers' doors, walking in, and I was quite shy, uh, and, and just kind of going to say hi. I'm this um, awkward English director, and um, this is my stuff. It's really different. Um, what do you reckon? And literally just knocking on doors, sending emails, knocking on doors, knocking on doors, and walking into rooms where, you know, literally the producer or this guy will be on his phone screaming at his lawyer, and I'll be sat down there listening to him for 20 minutes, and the guy, you look up and goes, who the fuck are you? It's, I mean, it's crazy situations, but I, mean, I think you've just got to be really, really tenacious and, 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 and believe in yourself um, and just be... Don't be bold. I mean, it kind of sounds so, it sounds so ridiculous. I mean, I, it, you know, and again, I get asked a lot, how do you get in, how do you get in? And generally, I, right now, I don't know. But I guess if I was sat there, I would fucking work out a way. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I would, you know, I mean, you've got to. You've mm. got it, you kind of, how can I make my stuff different? You know, what technology is available at my disposal? I want to get into multi-camera. Okay, I'm not going to get into doing that right now. But you know what? You know, okay, there's a load of new technology coming on the marketplace now. You know, those, those trucks are a million dollars. You can actually get an iMac, wire a load of cameras up, and do it yourself. So go down to the fishing conference at Earl's Court. Tell the guy there, right, I'll film all your these debates, the fishing men or whatever. Put it out on the web and just, you know what I mean? And just mm. be initiative, initiative, initiative. And, and it's very different to, 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 to what these guys do. But I, th I think the, the thing about being different, though, I think it's absolutely that. Is I think people have to have a look at themselves and say, have I got something to offer? Mm. Because, you know, there might be a truthful conversation, so I don't know if I have. Yeah. But, but some people will find what that thing is. Mm. I think we were talking earlier as well about stalking and how important that is. <laughs> Just stalking the right people. And has everybody had, had experiences where they, where they wanted to work with a particular person or, or, or uh, in a particular scenario wanted to learn from somebody and they just kept on knocking on their door? Well, it's how I learn. You know, I was, um, I was in a position where I was just emailing <coughs> around people and saying, can I just come and sit next to you for a day and not say anything? <laughs> um, and I did that with Rupert Hausman, who's a very, very talented and a really supportive editor. Um, and I just watched him. I mean, he was cutting a, a film called Skag Vegas for Swan Films, and I just sat in with him for a day and just learned how he shaped story, and that was so useful. Um, and I did that for a couple of other directors as well when I was younger, so it really helped. I think we've got uh, time, it's around about time <coughs> for questions from you guys, so I hope you've been taking notes and you've got lots of really scary, important questions. Where are the microphones that are on the way? It's in the middle there, man, it was the first one with his hand up. Wait for the microphone just for the podcast, please. Thank you. Um, is that on? Can people yep. hear? Um, it's a question for Hamish, really. Um, I'm shooting a documentary later in the year which will um, be of a, a sort of five-day tournament of um, Mahjong in Las Vegas. And <laughs> um, money aside, it, you know, what are the um, tips you perhaps have um, for me? It'll be my first time shooting such a, you know, a live um, sporting event, let's say. <laughs> uh, wow. That's an... I'll tell you what. Uh, meet me later, and I'll give you, and I'll give you them, because I could go on forever, and I need to know the specifics of what you need to do. So um, I'll be hanging around later, and I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a few minutes then. Otherwise, it's going to disappear into a rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> Just here, yeah, please. I'll get to everybody. Hi, um, I have a question for Pamela. Um, as someone who really likes duck stuff as well, uh, and you saying that it's probably not easy to get stuff made um, at the moment, especially in the current political climate in terms of like dark stuff. Is there any advice you'd give in terms of maybe like people that would be good to approach uh, about Dave? sort of darker things? Okay. <laughs> maybe Dave. Um, you know what, what I meant was rather was that the, the wasted, um, so you know, there is dark stuff, although I think there is a problem with commissioners uh, even if there is something quite dark, uh, being anxious that it's still very accessible. And by accessible, <clears throat> I think they often do mean, not always, but they often mean 
it's not really dark. It's quite, it's actually quite happy in the end. Ollie Lambert made a brilliant clip. I can't ever remember what it's called. Um, about it's called the commissioning editor, and and you, you should all look that up actually. Um, uh, I think that there are. It's more about an idea, but that that wasted was a very observational, purely observational. Nothing really happens. You're following their lives. Their lives are sort of purely really quite dark. So that's what I'm, I'm more meant now, probably. I wouldn't want to make that now. You know, it would be, you know, we've moved on, and, and that was something that I was playing around with or really diving into the rabbit hole of darkness. Um, so I think that I wouldn't make that now. Um, in terms of people, you know, there are, there are brilliant uh, people to talk to. Morgan Matthews is always interested in dark stuff. I talked to him. Um, but, you know, there will be people, it just depends on what your idea is and, and how you're going to do it. I think I wouldn't go with something purely dark. I'd go with a bit of grey and maybe cheat them. There might be some really happy stuff along the way as well. So uh, as a follow-up question to that, then, yeah. is what you mean uh, is that it should have a brighter ending, it can't just be a downward spiral because people won't like that. I think it is, yeah. I think it's, it's you know, it really depends. You know, if you look... I think what Hamish just said is that you have to know who you're making the film for. So at the moment, I do quite a lot of fact-dense stuff, which I get a different experience out of. I don't get the creative kind of um, uh, satisfaction that I would get from doing something like Dementiaville or, or Adopting Broad, Wasted, certainly. Um, you get a different experience. It's more of you're doing, you feel that you're doing your job really well. So you're <clears throat> making the best series, Fact Tent series. There's one ser a series that I made starting on BBC Two tonight with Dara O'Brien and, and, and Ed Byrne going um, uh, on a journey to Mandalay. And I hope that I did my best job with those presenters to make that series the best series it can be of a type. It's not creatively for me, you know, ticking all my boxes, but, you know, you have to look at, okay, who am I making this series for? I've decided to do it. Um, I'm going to make it the best series that I can for that person, whoever it might be, you know, the commissioning editor or the exec or the talent or whoever it is. I think that um, if you have or if you get asked, you know, there's this quite sort of dark idea, you, you know, we're saying dark because we think dark's interesting. So you have to just make it interesting. The narrative, the way you're going to shoot it, what, how you're going to approach it and your access to the people. But there are other things you can do. Um, fact-dense stuff that you can do, which you just have to approach in a different way, and then kind of dip into the dark again, do some fact-dense, do some <laughs> cooking. Jamie Oliver is brilliant. I, lo I love doing cooking. So <laughs> in between dark stuff. <laughs> Another question, just uh, two rows ahead there. Pass the mic in front of you, it'd be great. Um, primarily this is for Hamish, um, but I'd like to hear everybody else's opinions. Um, I have just directed right. my... I'm here. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Hello. Um, as someone who's just directed their first um, multi-camera studio show this week, oh, cool. um, I wow. wanted to find out, and from all of you, what things did you do when you did your first hour that you didn't or don't do now, and how did you feel you developed? Oh, my goodness, what a question. <laughs> um, well, first of all, congratulations. Thank you. That's awesome. Um, that's a, wow, that's a difficult question to, uh, to, to answer. What did I do the first time? I probably made lots of mistakes, um, for sure. Probably, uh, do you know what, actually, as I've gone through my career, uh, certainly the last few years, I've just come out of the last few years, um, I became more conservative as I, as I went on, bizarrely, because I don't know why. I, I guess as, as, as you succeed more, you, I, I had more of a fear of failure. The stakes are higher. You can't fuck up the next mm. time. Um, and I've now got to the point where I'm like, you know what, I'm not going to do that anymore because I got so restricted and I'm watching back my stuff. I'm going, there ain't nothing great about this. Um, you've got to be bold and you've got to do, you know, got to do something different. So I do remember that one, the, the, in the first few jobs that I did from, from Multicam, I honestly, I had no, and I swear a lot, I do apologise, I had no effing idea what I was doing. Genuinely, I walked in with a load of ideas come from post-production, and I sat down in, the, in this desk, uh, the ADPA on my left-hand side, vision mixer on my right, and I said to these two ladies, I'm saying, look, I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> we can, you can either sit there, and they were, they were significantly older than me, 
And I'd been through this before uh, as a young person, right? I was in my 20s. And um, I could either, they could either sit there and sneer at me because they wanted to be in my seat, right? And be really, really annoyed and pissed off. Or, or I could motivate them. And I could say, right, okay, look, I'm here. I've got a load of ideas. We can really have a great day together and we can do something different. And I can learn from you and you can learn from me. Or it can be, it, it can be war and you can be grumpy and you can just bitch at me because I'm, I'm this young upstart. And I think also as well as you're working with, especially in the studio environment, it can be quite alien. It can be quite um, passively aggressive. I think also gen as, as, a, as a woman, I think you probably find it, it, it more difficult and, you know, uh, at, at times. But I, I find that most people who are in that environment are in that environment because they want to make television. Whether it's the camera person who's been doing it for 30 years, if you can reignite their passion and their joy and the reason that they joined the industry 25 years ago, yeah, I think you will get a completely different way of working from them. Because I think generally people, in those kind of large studio environments, people come, become a little bit institutionalized. And you know what? And they're listening to, you know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of those environments can be quite aggressive or quite rude. And they just, you know, they do that every single day. So if you can go in there as a breath of fresh air, demonstrate that you have passion and you have ideas, and also, I think, illustrate that, you know what? You don't know everything. Do you know what I mean? You don't know everything. You're there to learn. And it's a fine line. It's a fine line between saying, OK, you do everything for me. Um, and you're actually saying, look, I need your help. I mean, I don't know whether this is helping at all, but mm -hmm. I, I, overcoming people's dismissiveness of you and people's like, really? Well, who are you? I mean, I've, lit I've literally been in situations where I've walked in into talent and uh, the person will remain nameless. This, this person actually was a, was a kind of a musical hero of mine. Mm -hmm. And he said, who the fuck are you? I was expecting person X, this other director who was, you know, very well-established name. And he's literally in front of everybody. was like, who the fuck are you? I wasn't expecting you. Why are you here? Fuck, they've sent the boy. I was expecting a guy and they expect the boy. Like, I mean, how do you come back from that? Come you know, you just got to dig deep and you've got to, and you, you know, on, on a different level, when you sit in that director's chair, you've got to be really aware that you're talking to a lot of people at the same time and they will be judging you by your language and you can either motivate the fuck out of them or you can kind of, you know, you can grind it out. And I choose to inspire, motivate, lead, and be honest. Honesty, I think, is, again, is really, really key. I'm completely honest all the time. And I've said multiple times to multiple people, the first time I met Bono, for instance, right, M musical hero of mine, he sits down and he says to me, you know, blah, 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 he's using all these words, and I'm fucking lost. I don't have an English degree. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> he's got a team of people behind him, right, and I'm sat there, and I'm like, shit, shit, shit. I'm panicking like this. And I'm like, S can I just stop you there? Total silence. I'm really sorry, but I don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> fucking, you could have heard a pin <laughs> in the room. He, he literally, he looked at me like this, he went, Hmm. Okay. What I want to do is remake Raging Bull. And I'm like, well, why didn't you just say that? Anyway, <laughs> Touche. We know we've got one ever since. But you know what? I mean, that's a big risk. But again, it's just honesty. And people are disarmed, you know, by honesty. And um, anyway, I've probably said enough. I, th I think that's, I had a similar situation, not with Bono. But, um, <laughs> um, but I made my first drama last year. And I sort of went to do that drama because I was scared of drama. And I wanted to put myself in a position where I was scared of something. Yeah. I wanted to take it on. Mm. And I said to the cast and to the lead at the time, I said, I've never done this before. I'm good at some things, but you're going to really have to help me through this. And I think, but that, again, it's a fine line, isn't it? Because mm. they don't want to think somebody, there's, there's no, this is a rudderless ship. But because, and you, when you're on set, you have to be, you have to appear to be decisive even when you're not. Um, and you have to say sometimes also, I don't know yet, but I will. Mm. But I think that, that line between being really honest and, and not being somebody who feels like they're flailing around is a quite a fine one. But the honesty is absolutely at the yeah. heart of relationships. Whatever the form of what you're doing, whether it's drama, comedy, you know, live OBs, entertainment, documentary, it's honesty is the best thing. Mm. Um, okay, uh, quick fire questions because we're running out of time. So, really quick questions and really quick answers, please. This man here in the front. Hi, uh, this is a quick question for David. Um, how did you get the uh, family on board after such uh, for the murder detectives? Um, 
like long answer again, but like the, the crux of it is that I think most people are never in that, in that situation. They're shock, trauma. It's unfamiliar. They've got detectives around their house. It's this. It's an incredible, incredibly unfamiliar experience. But the father in the family, he had a point he wanted to make, which was about knife crime. And I think because he had an agenda, um, he saw the documentary had an outlet for that agenda. And in a, that's a simple answer to it, but I think that was fundamentally it. Mm. Can I just say one more for Hamish as well? Um, your uh, U2 Live in Slane, uh, the Bono one, directly inspired me to be a director. Cool. And I've gone on to two music documentaries. Nice. Um, but it was just a really quick question about, I know you do live, but you also do stuff for concert DVDs yep. and things like that. Do you get into the edit and oh, yeah. retweak shots? And Oh, God, yeah. I mean, I mean again, I'm very, I'm very uh, shortly, as short as I can, I'm very blessed. I ISO everything, take it back. Um, you know, I'm using 4K cameras now, not because we delivering 4K, but I can zoom it in. I use everything at my disposal. You know, live is one thing, to tape is completely different. Pull it all apart and put it all back together again. And we are kind of at a time, I'm afraid, um, but these guys are really nice and very approachable, so you can absolutely grab them um, uh, as you see them on the way out or, or out and about. BAFTA have a BAFTA at 70 exhibition going on, which is all around the building, um, so you feel free to enjoy that. This is all, uh, this session is with thanks to Creative Skillset, and also I just wanted to thank the panel for their time and, and their honesty. <laughs>